to me as an outside observer that they don't even have their business set up fully yet. And yeah, they're complaining about no profit. We're like, well, there's nine or 10 things you haven't even done yet. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. Let's jump in. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business, but at a small and profitable business than a large one which earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Download your 60-page workbook and start making your business more profitable today. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Using your Using your income statement, also known as your profit and loss statement, to help run your business is almost always a good idea. But there are special times when those rules don't apply. And in those times, it is a horrible mistake to obsess over your profit and loss statement. So in this episode, we're going to discuss these unusual but critical times. Jason, you came up with this idea. As soon as I saw the the idea that came through from you earlier today, I I thought that's very odd. And then I realized looking through the statement that there's actually quite a lot of times when you need to be mm-hmm. very careful about that. So what a shocking idea. Tell us more about where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a little bit of a shocking claim, I guess you could say, controversial thought maybe, because most people would say that your profit and loss statement is your, you know, the, the I guess you could call it the Bible of your business. I mean, it's like, it's like the truth of what's happening, you know? So when would there ever be a time when when you don't want to depend on it. And yes, there are times. And so we need to dive into those. Just looking at a Buffett quote a moment ago, and he said, managers and investors alike must understand that accounting numbers are the beginning and not the end of business valuation. And I think that speaks into sort of the the theme of the conversation here today. This idea that there are times when the valuation of your business or the running of your business can't directly be tied to just the accounting numbers. And so we want to jump, you know, into that with good solid conversation around it today. So I'm happy to to talk about those. I think maybe before we jump into it though, we might want to just spend a moment or two discussing, you know, what is the value of a income statement to a business? And there are some entrepreneurs who have just never heard of such thing and don't really, you know, they don't know about kind of how to run a business by the profit and loss statement and and so it's sort of new to them or they're not quite clear on it. So I figure we might want to just talk about that for a moment or two before we, uh, we talk about the exceptional cases when you don't use them. What are your thoughts? Yeah, what what say, stands yeah, out to you a, as it relates to why a P&L is so important? That's a good idea. Yes. I guess we're, do, we're taking this sort of counter position. So we ought to define the standard position. Yeah. So I guess the first thing is just to clarify language and, and talk about what it means. I think the first thing I would say is, okay, very obvious thing. Income statement doesn't mean the revenue you've made. It means mm-hmm. the same as profit and loss, just in case there's confusion about that. But also I would say this, right from the off, your profit and loss 
isn't your cash flow statement. And to your point that you can sometimes be led down a blind alley by it or the wrong direction, I think when you're in a startup particularly, and to some degree when you're operating and expanding, especially expanding a physical products business, then there can be a big difference between the cash flow and the profit yeah. and loss. So that doesn't necessarily mean you should ignore the profit and loss, but it means you shouldn't be only guided by it for sure. So that's the first thing that's trying. Yeah, to totally. Totally agree. I mean, what you, I guess to restate what you're saying is that you, you can't always just run your business based on what's in your checking account and a look at, at your checking account. And, and you realize that over time, you realize, oh, yeah. there are these times when I'm doing fine with my checking account, but I have a big problem. Or conversely, I'm doing horrible with my cash flow and I have a big problem. And yet my business is very healthy and growing or, you know, th those tension points between sort of the checking account view of your life and the income statement view of your life become more and more clear over time as you operate a, you know, growing business and a, a thriving thing, you know? So I guess we ought to come back to the point you were just asking me to help with that, which is a very important point. What is a profit and loss? I mean, I guess, first of all, generally it is important because profit means the Leftover, not turnover, as, as one of my guests put it once. And in other words, what's left in the business to put it in simplistic terms. And that's really what generates the value of an e-commerce business. If you ever want to sell it. And of course, if you haven't got any profit left, you, you can't legally in UK law anyway, or English law, pay yourself a dividend. So there's various things that come out of it. If there's no money left, you can't pay anyone and there's no real value to the business. So profit is critical, but I guess that not at all points, right? That's when you come to sell it or yeah. come to live. I, I'm going to, I'll, I'll hold my. I'll hold my commentary about that statement that the value isn't, the business isn't at value if, if it's not, a, doesn't have a profit in an ongoing way. I want to dive into that a little bit because it gets to sort of the heart of one of the exceptional times. But, yes. but anyway, if you're not familiar with it, sorry, this is boring people who are very familiar with these things, but if you're not familiar with it, an income statement or a profit and loss statement is basically just a one pager. It's very simple that shows you at the top of it, your, you know, your revenue line. So you, what you're sold, how, you know, you're, what you, you know, what sales have come through your business. And then underneath that, it's your set of expenses. They can be organized in different ways and bundled together and, you know, kind of bucketed up. And then the bottom line is, are your, you know, revenues at the top, the top line numbers greater than the expense lines? Uh, and thus the income, it, you know, will sit down right at the bottom of the page. A very simple concept. I remember learning this from my business mentor. I mean, I knew about it from academic work. Like when I got my MBA, I was like, yes, I know these things. But then when I actually in my business had my mentor say, here's how you create this in QuickBooks. Let's look at it for your particular business. Then I was like, wow, this is so interesting, you know? And so I really, I really think all of us kind of need to go through that if you haven't. And if you run your business with a, a P&L, then you're very familiar with this, but it adds so much clarity as it relates to the expenses and to the revenue lines. It adds clarity as it relates to overspending. Or maybe under investing in some expenses, you know, maybe you got an expense line that's zero and honestly, it should be, you know, <laughs> a big number and you can see that in a, in a profit and loss statement. Um, yeah, I would say in non-exceptional times, it is definitely something that, you know, gets ignored a lot of the time by entrepreneurs who are generally very drawn to marketing in the worlds that I move in anyway, and mm -hmm. new product creations. They like creation and shouting about their creation. And of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you don't know what is going on in your profit and loss statement, if you don't understand it really line by line, I would suggest just the, the simple version. And we probably should talk about the conventional cases at some point as well. But, you know, sit down with your bookkeeper or your accountant and ask them questions like, don't be afraid to look stupid in private. After mm -hmm. all, you're paying them and to say, what does that mean? 
what is gross profit? And by the way, that is not a simple question. Like we have a yeah. lot of discussions in the mastermind. There's one particular member whose heart is in the same place as mine, which is like, when we say gross profit, let's define that. And what yeah. goes into that and what doesn't? And these yeah. are important questions. However, we are, I, I guess we've defined the, the fact that for most people, most of the time, managing by a profit and loss really is important. And I guess that's fairly standard. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm kind of interested now. You piqued my curiosity. Well, let me, uh, bef yeah, before we go matter? there, before yeah, we go there, I'll just mention a few other value, you know, benefits of having the, the P&L. The, the thing that can happen with kitchen table entrepreneurs or small businesses over the course of some duration of time, you can end up with different revenue streams. Like, oh, well, I make, you know, I make $6,000 a year this way, but I really make all my money this other way. And, you know, I've got these streams of, of revenue leading into the business. And, and one of the real value propositions of having a P&L statement that you look at is you get to see to say to yourself, oh, those little pennies or quarters or dimes that came through the door here and there throughout the whole year added up to a pile of money. And I didn't, you know, you, you kind of like stuff sneaks up on you sometimes and you realize, oh man, sometimes you, know, you can, you can realize, man, I made, made $7,000 this last year in this odd little way. And I didn't even try. I didn't even spend any money doing that. And, you know, it kind of, it allows you to see things in your business and the numbers of it that really can be valuable, beneficial. And then to your point earlier, just my last little comment here, having an ongoing, you know, profit does allow an easy valuation method for your business. Not like it's a standard valuation technique to say, you know, what's, what's your annualized or prior 12 months, what you might call owner discretionary income or, you know, your profit basically. And, uh, and. And then to value your business, maybe somebody will give you three times that amount or five times that amount or whatever it is, you know, seven times that amount that the range is debatable, but, but that's a standard valuation technique. And it's built on the back of having a clear understanding of your prior 12 months or whatever, you know, your, your annualized profits. So those are the reasons why profit and loss statement are so valuable. Um, all right. Are you ready to get into when they're not valuable? <laughs> yeah. I, just before we do that, I think because you've got a few other things that you've, you've noted yeah. just to be clear that this is where I come from. I think one of the things that is very useful as well is when you have a clear profit and loss that you can benchmark against generally accepted ranges for things. So if you're, for example, I was working with somebody, I don't do this very often, but he's got a Shopify based drop shipping business. And so I looked at what mm -hmm. was sort of expected, you know, pre-tax profit range should be in gross profit margin. It was about 30% pre-tax, you know, gross profit margin and 10% after overheads, I mm -hmm. pre-tax profit, not to get too jargony for those who aren't familiar. And it's, it wasn't rocket science to see this, this business is off track because it was losing my, it was minus 20% <laughs> pre-tax, but nevertheless, you know, what are we aiming for? And I, cause I didn't know the business model as well as other things. I thought I'd better just check what the benchmarks are. And so that's a very good sanity check. You know, yeah. if you are expecting 50% pre-tax profit from a physical products business, for example, if you've been used to like an information marketing or a SaaS yeah. business, then again, that might be a reality check the other way. So yeah, that's really, really useful as well. Yeah. Um, another example of that would be, we always work with our clients and say, Hey, you know, how much did you spend on marketing and advertising yeah. in the last 12 months? And a lot of times they're like, well, I, I got a little money I'm spending over here and you know, a little money over there and I do some influencer deals and, you know, I got my Facebook ads and like, yeah, add it all up. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. So we put it all in a bucket and that should be between 12 and 18% of your top line revenue. Very mm. simple mathematics. Yeah. And you're like, well, why is it sometimes 12 and why is it sometimes 18? Well, all things being equal, you want to spend as much money on marketing and advertising as you can afford. 
Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. But as over time become basically averaged in many ways around these things. And uh, so there are rules of thumb or you know, heuristics you can apply once you know the P&L info. And uh, that's why it's valuable. Yeah. Okay, so we've definitely dug into why it's valuable. And, and for anyone who's not using a profit and loss statement or doesn't look yeah. at it, by the way, if you've got a bookkeeper working for you and you don't look at your profit and loss statement, walk into the club. I've been there, my clients mm -hmm. have. All I would say is look at it, like preferably once a month, at least once a quarter. Can I just pray that you don't look at it about nine months after the year end and discover your business loss yeah. money yeah. last yeah. year because it's a bit late to change it. And I'll just say that, you know, so that that's my, my plea to you. If you're listening and it's easily done, no criticism, but I promise it will really, really, really repay that work. Yeah. So having banged people over the head with the fact that it's actually really valuable to use a profit and loss statement to run your business. I'm interested in your controversial thing that sometimes it's a really horrible idea. So when when is that? Yeah, I've got two examples and I, there's really a third one we can talk about if we have time of when it's really a, a mistake to you know, try to look at the P&L statement. And the first one I'll mention is during the startup phase of your business, which is sort of obvious in a way once you mention it. But when you're investing into your business to get it going, you've got to think of it like a little, like a little baby seedling of a tree or something like that. You know, think of your, your business as an oak tree in the future, right? Or a, like, let's say a fruit tree, because that's a better metaphor, maybe. Uh, a, a fruit tree. You know, the first phase of its life you're going to be digging a hole for it, literally, like financially digging a hole. And you're going to be investing in fertilizer and faithful watering and protecting it from pests and frost and sun and all the, you know, kind of all the things you have to do to invest in, in keeping something alive. That's just a little baby idea, a little baby thing. And so that's not the time to ask the question, is it making me money, you know? And, and a lot of times investors can be very, very impatient. It'd just be the same as saying, is my, you know, one-year-old peach tree I just stuck in the ground giving me a lot of peaches? Well, it's not the season of its life to do that. And it's a huge mistake for you to think it would be. And a first-time entrepreneur will make that mistake. Like, oh, well. and, and, you know, it's funny because a lot of times, well, I mean, we've worked with, I've helped 40,000 people set up Shopify sites now through my my trainings and I worked with a ton of coaching clients since 2017. And, you know, you get people who all get on a coaching call or, you know, advisory call and they'll kind of describe their desire for, you know, what they're trying to solve for. And it's very clear to me as an outside observer that they don't even have their business set up fully yet. And yeah, they're complaining about no profit. I'm like, well, there's nine or 10 things you haven't even done yet. You're not done with implementation. I'm sorry to say, but you know, profit's not the problem. Thoroughly implementing the business is the problem or maybe the business model or, you know, there's a different other things. 
And so I think that's the first thing I'd say is you got to understand in the investment startup phase of your business, you need to really understand that it's a baby. Do not put heavy demands on a baby unless you want it to be, you know, weird and warped and, you know, stressed, unhappy. What are your thoughts on that? I agree entirely. I think, yeah, that, that I guess I like your analogy of the baby. I think, I mean, like, cause in the past, I've done quite a bit of education work. My wife still has the, the doubtful pleasure of educating small children in, in trying to play the piano. And, um, what's specific to human development at very different ages is very, very specific. I mean, like a five-year-old will not grasp things that a seven-year-old easily grasps and a 10-year-old will go, oh, that's for babies. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's true with businesses. If it's in the startup phase versus early growth versus very established. It needs very different things. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the other thing I see, like literally had an example of this yesterday without revealing anything personal about the, the client, but I've got a new client, sort of person I don't tend to take on very often now because it's sort of pre-revenue and it's kind of harder to help people before you got product market fit to, to, to quote, person whose name escapes me, a very famous startup incubator founder. You've got before product market fit and after, and they're different worlds. And so to your point, I think really, and before you worry about profit, you've got to think about, does anyone actually want the product I'm selling? And one of the, one of the reasons that people obsess about revenue correctly at this stage, which then can stay as a habit that's very inappropriate when you've got a, an established business, in my opinion, is revenue is an indicator of product market fit. If people buy a lot of your stuff, it means they want it. And that means you've got, you know, a chance to build a business with that product or product line. And so I think that revenue viewed in the right way uh, can be a, a very important indicator at this point, whereas profit isn't necessarily because if you can source something rather over expensively and sell it at a price that will be profitable in the future once you source more sensibly, if you will, then that's a fantastic start because you've proven one half of the equation, which is product yeah. market fit. The next thing is, yeah. okay, can you make it profitable, which is a different mm-hmm. equation to solve in some ways. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally right. Um, no, I, I, I totally agree with that hundred percent. So, th- so that's the first scenario. And I would just say that, you know, the best businesses sometimes take the longest, you know, to mature, you know, that old story or what are the example of the, the giant bamboo from China that grows underground for five years. And then literally in like, I forget what duration of time, but it's like a very, very short period bursts to like 90 feet tall, you know, wow. so for five years, it's like nothing. And then I forget how fast, but it's very, very fast. It just skyrockets out of the ground. And, you know, all things being equal, which would you rather have a business that actually gets to a skyrocketing point or one that, you know, never does. And, and so you have to think through like, what is it you're building? And sometimes you don't, um, you don't profit. Now, Bezos is a good example of this. You know, there's, I guess there's a, a, a tweak to this, you could say, or, or, or kind of an exception within the exception. And that is. Let's say you do get profitability and you do get good income coming through a sales methodology of a product, but you've got another thing that you want to invest in, another major investment. Every time you enter a major investment phase of your business, you're basically re-entering that baby startup phase cycle Mm -hmm. and you're doing it with cash, you know, from the business, you're doing profits ideally, obviously you would be doing it for profits, but nonetheless, that's going to write down your, your income. You know, let's say, let's say you made, let's just say one year you, you did great and you made a million bucks of income right into your bank account. Government took its big giant chunk and whatever, you know, you, you, you had a huge windfall. 
And the next year you're like, you know what? I can buy a whole different business, but it's going to take me a million dollars to buy it, but I'm going to make a million dollars, but I'm going to spend a million dollars and my, you know, my income statement will show that I had zero income. Yeah. Which would you rather buy that other business or not? Yeah. Like do it right when you're, you know, the next year to zero because you're investing in a new big thing or, you know, building a new revenue stream. So every time you do that, you're really fiddling with your, you know, your, your income statement. Now I would just say at that point, you have the income statement, you're looking at it, you know, you're making money and you're using it as an informed tool to use that, you know, to make that decision into investing into a new thing. When you're starting, of course, you're doing it all blind. You know, you, you don't have any proof of concept to your point. You yeah. don't have any, you know, product market fit. You're, you're hoping for those things. But once you're established and you're investing in something new, you're doing it from a position of strength, you know? Well, that's true. But I think what's interesting talking about more established businesses, but the fact that each new product line in a way is a new, you know, baby or it's got a new, it's mm -hmm. early in its, its growth phase of its life, if you will. I think you've got to, you make an interesting point that this is a newish sort of thought for me, which is you've got to account for new product lines and your overall profit aims. I mean, just because your existing product lines average out to, including the overhead, say 20% E or pre-tax profit, let's keep it simple, mm -hmm. which is generally seen as a very desirable number for most people who acquire e-commerce businesses, at least the ones that have focused on Amazon that I'm more familiar mm -hmm. with. The market tends to be that you need to be making 20% pre-tax. Okay, well, fine. But if you're launching new products, then those will suck a lot of cash and, and some of it That's will right. come back in profits and some not. So I think you need to so, have appropriate targets again for where you're at. If you want to sell your business in five years, for example, you might accept a lower profit mm -hmm. target for the next three or four years, but then make absolutely sure that in the year or maybe even 18 months before you try and sell it and hook it around the best brokers and aggregators and whoever's the players at the time that you make damn sure that you're trading 12 months is at least 20% pre-tax. So you're probably going to yeah. be growing less. But because of the rather rigid way that sometimes, and to your point, there are 20 different valuation methods for businesses or something like that, aren't they? But most things are sold as a multiple of the last 12 months, yes. which is kind of rather foolishly narrow, really. But if that's how people buy it, then you can make that number look good and manage for that number. So in other words, right. even with an established business, you have to vary the profit targets and not be alarmed if it's lower this than in this year than last year, because you launched a bunch of products or something like that. Yeah. So you just unloaded a he heavy duty set of things there. Let me, let me unpack a few of the okay. points there. So SDE is seller discretionary, discretionary earnings. So basically you can receive benefit or value from your business in several ways in the U S for example, if you got a, you've got a planned income, you, you need to have part of that going through as a W2 employee. And then if you're, if you're an LLC taxes and S corp and of course, we're not attorneys or CPAs not giving advice, but basically the way it works, if you're an LLC tax and S corp in the US, you know, you got part of that income that you'll put through as a W-2 and then the other you'll take out as an owner's draw. And so there's different ways you get value and maybe you have your business paying for your truck or, you know, your dental vision and health plan or whatever, you know, there's all these different ways that a business can value, be valuable to you as the owner. And so when you think about business valuation, standard phrasing is seller discretionary earnings. And that's sort of the number that Michael's mentioned is 20%, sort of a seen as a, a healthy, you know, number, but you're right. Those can be written up and written down any given year based on what you do in the business, of course. And if you want to sell the business, you want to make sure that you have a large as possible seller discretionary earnings number. And if you want to grow the business, you want to have be as lean, mean, 
you know, as much as invested into the future as possible. And, uh, so the, those are the, the dynamic that play here. Okay. So anyway, so all of that to say inside the startup phase of a business, you, you you've got this weird place where the profit and loss statement is in as is helpful. Now you kind of mentioned this idea of valuing a business for selling it. So let me just mention in the second way in which, or the second time in which the profit and loss statement gets thrown out the window in a way. And that's when you're considering closing or shuttering, winding down your business. And I'm in, you know, a relationship with a lot of sellers who have the peaks and the growth and the, the, the S curve momentum upsides. And sometimes I'm in relationship with business owners who are in that wind down phase. And, uh, you know, I mentioned in my newsletter to our coaching clients this last week, the anonymous story of somebody I worked with not that long ago who didn't want to continue the, continue the bit, her business. She was, I think it's fair to say frustrated because she didn't have an ongoing income. You know, she, she wasn't taking a draw or there wasn't enough to have W2 earnings clearly, you know, you know, planned and drawn. So she didn't feel like it was making any profit. And so I saw her announce on Facebook, she was going to close her business. So I reached out and said, are you selling your business to somebody or you know, are you planning to sell it? Hey there, folks. Thank you for listening to today's show. Um, we have been talking about an important couple of topics, which are kind of a little bit contradictory. And um, I think that's thought provoking. That's good to think about these things. So the first thing we've said is that having a profit and loss is very valuable for the following reasons. Insight into your revenue streams and what's making you um, sales, clarity and expenses, overspending or underinvesting, really important. Uh, generally accepted ranges. So benchmarks and an easy way to help you compute valuation. You take your pre-tax profit and very broadly speaking, you multiply it by two, three, four, or five, depending on what the market is for your given type of business for a Shopify focused business. Maybe it's more like seven times. And that gives you a rough idea of the value of your business. Now, these are great uses of a profit and loss, but sometimes it can really mislead you. And today we've really focused on startups and growth phases. So startup phase, when you're investing in a new business or a new product line or a new brand or something else within an existing business, it can really be a great, um, it can really lead you astray because you should not be expecting profits from a new business or new product. And, um, as Jason says, like a, a baby ceiling, you're not trying to dip in a big pick fruit from a brand new sapling. You have to dig, you have to fertilize water, protect it from the pests and things like that. So. Every time you launch a new major initiative, you're re-entering the investment phase. Um, so uh, that's really important to think about. And I see that a lot, and particularly at the startup phase. And uh, Jason's seen many similar things as well, that people are misguided by the fact they're not making profits within two weeks or even two months, and they kill off things that could actually become incredibly valuable given time. Now, there's an appropriate time um, frame to put on different types of business models and this bit broad discussion to talk about here, but try and get a sense from a wise, um, council, somebody who's done it before, perhaps in a mastermind, perhaps a consultant, perhaps a, an accountant who's seen similar businesses before. That is what I would say, you know, get a sense of when you should expect the profit to come through. The other thing to say is when you are growing an established business, 
you still will be going to start up phase with certain types of products and the launch phase of a product is going to take money rather than give you money. In other words, it's going to shop as a loss, not a profit for a certain period, even if that product turns out to be successful, which is a similar idea, except that what I'm saying is your overall profit target for your business. If you're launching a lot of new um, product lines or new uh, marketing channels or, or sales channels, um, or even expanding your team is probably going to be a lot lower than you would want to target when you're preparing your business to, to sell, assuming that you do try and sell it at some point. And it's really, really important again, to not be overly led by your, by your bottom line. If it's not appropriate to the phase of your business, if you're growing your business hard, you probably should expect your bottom line to be smaller than if you're just running it for profit, which is the time to do that. I would suggest is before you try and hook it around brokers and to business buyers, because it looks more attractive if the trailing 12 months are very profitable. It's kind of artificial, as I said, but it's important. So all of this stuff is a subset really of what Jason calls the profit habits. And he ran a fantastic workshop a while ago and the workbook that he produced for it is beautifully produced visually and is packed with value. Absolutely fantastic. Personally, I did talk to Jason and say, are you sure you don't want to sell this? It's beautiful, but he's adamant that he wants to give it away for free in return for your email address. So if you want to get that, the e-commerce leader.com will slash profit habits. And there are 17, I believe, profit habits, uh, one of which is managing via your PL. So do go and get that. There is uh, a lot of wisdom contained in that little workbook really is something that I personally wonder whether Jason should be selling for good money. Um, so go grab it and, and respect it. Actually read it is my advice. Thank you for listening. The next episode is on a similar topic, but even more important, if you are considering shuttering or closing down your business, perhaps selling it or even just stopping trading because you don't feel that it's profitable enough to have any value. Well, hold hard. It may do. You may be missing something very, very important there. And if that's you or you have a friend in that situation, then uh, you want to listen to the next episode in this mini-series. Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening to The E-Commerce Leader. Don't forget to subscribe on the podcast player of your choice. and speak to you soon. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits.